So once again, if, and just in case some of you haven't been with us for the past six weeks, we are going through the eighth chapter of Romans. Um, and we are going through this book verse by verse. And there are 30-something-odd verses in this chapter. And so it'll take us into July of 2023, or maybe August. Uh, and the, I think one of the, you know, I don't think you should do a verse-by-verse preaching of every book in the Bible, or of every chapter in the Bible. But Romans, the letter, and specifically chapter 8, is so, I think it's almost designed to be preached verse-by-verse, verse, uh, because if you notice, in the, at least in the English translation, almost every sentence begins with the word, for, or there's some sort of connecting word there. Therefore, for, because of this, in order that. And we see how Paul is just laying the bricks on top of each other. <clears throat> he starts with this kernel of this argument, this idea that we are justified by grace through faith. And this kernel becomes a little sapling. It becomes a tree, and it becomes a great harvest. And we can see that harvest from uh, when we examine it you know, on a micro, micro level, but then also when we step back and we just see this train of, train of arguments that Paul is making. And we see the glory of the gospel being proclaimed. And so uh, we have another four verse, right? Four, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace, which is, also, which is building off of verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. Now before we <coughs> unpack verse 6 in light of verse 5, we need to remember what Paul is talking about. And remember, from the very first chapter of Romans all the way up to, up to now, and he will continue doing so, he is talking to the Romans about justification. Justification, which, which basically means how can I be made right? How can I be made right before God? Because he establishes in the first chapter of Romans that we are not right with God. We are very not right with God. And not just the Gentiles, who clearly don't know the law of God, but the Jews also. Because all of us live according to a law and there is a law that we cannot keep. And so, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but are saved and are justified by grace through Jesus Christ. And so he is telling the Romans about this beautiful doctrine of justification. But not, he's not just simply telling them the doctrine. But he's telling them this in order to assure them of their justification. The Roman, the, the Roman Christians... <laughs> Uh, are, they're obviously not near Paul. They're not with Paul right now, right? He, later in the letter, he says, I long to be with you. Uh, and maybe we can relate to the Romans in one sense as people who, as people who feel like they're in a foreign land. As much as I say, you know, it's really easy to be a Christian at Rutgers, but, you know, I say that in jest partly because obviously it can also be very difficult and it can feel lonely and it can feel like you're running against the tide of culture and academia 
and you feel like a sojourner in a foreign land. And that's what these Romans are going through as well. We don't know what kind of specific problems they're dealing with. This is not like 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians where Paul is like, hey, stop doing this particular sin. But <clears throat> we know that they're going through some kind of struggle. And Paul is going to unpack that later in verse, uh, chapter 8. But indeed, like the Romans, we are sojourners in a foreign land. So Paul is trying to assure them that as they are struggling with their faith, as they are trying their best to you know, live out the doctrines that they have been taught, to live out the gospel that they have been preached, that indeed you are justified not because of what you do, but because of what Christ has done. Not because of who you are or who you used to be, but because of who Jesus Christ is and was and forever will be. And so we come to verse 6, which again is a continuation of verse 5, and uh, we, can, we can look at it from a bird's eye view like this. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, which leads to and is death. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds, their big brains, on the things of the Spirit, which is and leads to life and peace. And here again, we see Paul establishes a very clear, very concrete duality. Duality means two things, okay? There's only two options here. You ever ask somebody a yes or no question and they come back with you with a maybe? And you're like, you're the worst. And so, Paul establishing two answers. There's only two. Okay, I asked you where you wanted to eat. Okay, I didn't ask you. I don't know. Okay, I said KFC or Popeyes. Okay, Paul offers only two, two paths. And he's following the whole course and structure of Scripture when he says these things. Because beginning in verse 1, he establishes very clear things. One, there are those, whom are, uh, there are those who are under condemnation. There are those for whom there is condemnation, and there are those for whom there is no condemnation. It's only yes, only no. Condemnation, no condemnation. There are those who live under the law of death. And there are those who live under the law of the spirit of life. There is no in-between, no, like, no transition. It's just these two things. And today we see that there are those who live according to the flesh, which leads to death. And there are those who live according to the spirit, which leads to life and peace. There is no process of dying or you know, becoming more dead or becoming more alive. It's just these two. And that is the concrete duality that Paul establishes. And so we'll look at both of those in turn. Right? When we look at the flesh, right, what does it mean to set the mind on the flesh? Um, There's, there was a sect in the New Testament times and early church that said anything to do with the flesh was bad. Right? Uh, Gnosticism was big on this. I'm sure there are other groups, but I got to see in church history, so I don't know. Um, but <clears throat> Paul is not saying that the body itself, um, it, he is in a sense, but... <clears throat> To say that we can't take care of our own needs or when we're hungry or when we're thirsty, uh, 
setting our minds on those needs, that's not what he's talking about. Right? When, we, when he's referring to the flesh, when we set the mind on the flesh, what he's referring to is our sinful nature. Our sinful nature. Our sinful nature, and again, if you remember from last week, uh, when the, how the ESV translates um, for those who live according to, and I'm only in Greek 3, so I'm like, I'm not pretending to be a big Greek guy, but uh, it can, the, the literal word they use is to be, right? So those who are flesh uh, live, according, you know, set their minds on the things of the flesh, and those who are in the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. So what he's saying is that those who are still remaining in their sinful nature, Right? And if you remain in your sinful nature, the obvious consequence, Paul argues, is that you set your mind on the things that your sinful nature wants. <clears throat> and he says, if we set our minds on the things that our sinful nature wants, that is death. And so why is setting the mind on these things? Why is it death? And now he's not even just referring to, and when we read this, we, we're not just thinking about those things that are very obviously sinful, right? Um, when we pursue, you know, things that make, you know, when we're cheating on our wives or when we're stealing from people or when we're um, murdering people, like that, those are very clearly, very clear things. But what he's, what he's also talking about is the desires of the flesh, your motivations, what what makes you move, like, right? Because that's, that's who you are, right? Who you are wants, who you are will determine what you want. And if we are in, and if we are in our very nature sinful, then everything we do, everything we pursue, everything that we desire is marked by sin. So why is setting but how can we say that? Why is setting the mind on the things that we want, why is that death? Because sometimes the things that we set our minds on can be good things, no? Or they can seem like they're good things. If we set our minds on you know, taking care of our health, or working out and eating right, like Paul says, you're setting your mind on the flesh. If we're thinking about um, saving up money, and trying to have a good life for our families and our parents. Paul says that's setting the mind on the flesh. If you want to get, you know, study hard, work hard, or on, so on and so forth, why is that? Why is that setting the mind on the flesh? And why does that lead to death? Well, what is death? Death simply, biblically, is separation from God. Even though we are going to die, the scripture is talking not just about a future activity or a future event, but it's talking about your current state now. And if you set your mind on the flesh, you are not simply going to die, but you are dead. Why are you dead? Because you are separated from God. And how are you separated from God? Well, there's the easy, <clears throat> there's the easy explanation how we are separated from God, like I said earlier, which is active rebellion. When we're in active rebellion against God, 
and we say we're going to hate our neighbor, and we're going to kill people, and we're going to steal from people. And okay, so those are very easy ways <clears throat> to be separated from God. But there's also kind of a more insinuous, insidious, insidious—that's the word—more insidious way that we are dead in our separation from God, which is when we completely don't consider God. When God becomes a complete non-consideration in everything that we do. When we go about our lives and go about our schoolwork and our careers, even though God has breathed the very breath in our lungs, God has shaped the trees that form these benches that you're sitting on right now, even though God has caused it so that the oxygen will react with your blood cells and give you life, even though he is that God, you say he has nothing to do with what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to accomplish, what I'm trying to be. And so maybe we're not literally cursing the name of God. Maybe we're not actively saying, how can I hurt God or how can I... uh, we're not doing anything like that. Maybe what we're doing is even worse. Maybe what we're doing is even more insidious by completely taking God out of the picture. And to take the author of life out of the picture of our lives, that's why Paul says to set the mind on the flesh, to set the mind on things that you desire, even though they might seem to be good things, is death. Because what you are doing is in separation, is, is separating you from God. But what does it mean to set the mind on the spirit? To set the mind on the spirit is to set the mind on the Holy Spirit. And to be led in your thinking and in your doing and in your being by the Holy Spirit. And who is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit. If we read a little later in Romans 8, which we'll get to in a month or so, in Romans 8, 11, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead and he dwells in you. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit which dwells in you. To set the mind on the flesh is to set our minds on not only things that will kill us, but is is death because it is separation from God. But to set the mind on the spirit is to set our mind on the Holy Spirit that gives us life. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that lives in us for those who trust in Christ Jesus. But when we set our mind on the Spirit, why why is that life? And why is it peace, as it says? In verse 6, it says, To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. I hope this, I hope this will make sense, but I, we're going to bring it around. When we think why setting the mind on the spirit is life and peace, we think about what life is. If life is the opposite of death, duh. and so if death is separation from God, if death is um, 
I'm sure there's a synonym for separation, but I'm up here and I can't think of one. So death is separation from God. It is disfellowship with God. It is disunity with God. Then life must mean union with God. Life must mean fellowship with God. Life must mean being together with God. Death is being apart from God. Life is being with God. And so if we are separated from God via our active rebellion and our non-consideration against God, then life is a union that is marked by a union of affection and a union of attention. When we were dead in our sins and trespasses, as Paul says elsewhere to the letter to the Ephesians, when we are dead in our sins and trespasses, we rebel against God, and we, um, yes, we rebel against God, but we also don't consider him in our everyday, day-to-day activity, and we think that we can live apart from him, but we cannot. But when we are setting our mind on the Spirit, we are united to Christ, and we are united to God through affection, that when we consider the things that we do and the, and the person that we are, what motivates us, what drives us, is not to rebel against God, but to please God. And what we, the, motivations for our, 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 the motivations for our actions is, how can I most glorify God in what I'm doing right now? How can I make God happy with what I'm doing right now? And not only is it a unity of affection, right? The Holy Spirit, as it, uh, the, the power of the Holy Spirit longs to make the Father happy, and that's the power that is in us. But it's also a union of attention. Where at one time, we did not consider God to ha- play a role in our lives. When we are united to him through the Holy Spirit, we understand that not only is God a, not only does God play a part in everything that we do, but without God, nothing that we do is possible. And so our attention then starts to turn from the ground up to the God of heaven. Not literally, because it's just a wood ceiling, but we, we start to understand that we are not alone in our actions and dealings and our living and being that God is intimately involved with what we are doing. And so then, why does Paul include the word peace? Clearly, because life is the opposite of death. It's like, all right, cool. So setting our mind on the flesh is death, and setting our mind on the spirit is life, but then he doesn't just say life, he says peace. Life and peace. Why is peace such an integral part of what he says about life? It's because... Outside of the spirit, when we live according to the flesh, your soul is at war. Your soul's at war. Who is is it at war with? It's at war with itself. Because let me me read what's going on in Romans 1, 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. 
We are designed by God. We are created by God. And we have his fingerprints all over us. And we have his design and his creativity within us. And it is who, it's what makes us who we are. And yet, because of sin, what we have done is suppress the truth of God's design in our lives. And our souls are at war because it knows it needs to worship something. It knows it needs to uh, it, know, it knows it needs to acknowledge its creator. It, need, it knows that it needs to uh, be obedient to the law of God, and yet we are suppressing that truth. Our souls are suppressing that truth, and therefore it's at war with itself because it, 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 needs, it needs to... We are, uh, in suppressing the truth of God, and yet it is still longing to obey the law. It's still long to... Um, still longing out for God. And so what do we do? We make other things our God. We make culture our God. We make our families our God. We make our careers, our GPA, we make that our God. And yet even in that, our souls know that this is not enough. This is not what leads to life. And so Paul says, setting our mind on the Spirit leads to life and peace because when we live according to the Spirit, our souls are no, is no longer at war with itself. And it's no longer a matter of our desires versus God's desires. It's no longer a matter of what our souls are created to do versus what we want it to do. Rather, because we have union in the Spirit, because we are united to the Spirit of God, the war is over. The war is over between the desires of our flesh and the desires of our spirit because they are now one and the same. The war is over between our desires and God's desires because through Jesus Christ, they are one and the same. It's not having to make a choice between what I want and what God wants. It's if the Spirit if you're setting your mind on the Spirit, and to just go back to verse 5, right? if you live according to the Spirit, if you are a Spirit-filled person, if you have received the justifying grace of Jesus Christ, what you want and what God wants is one and the same. Because we have union with Christ, our desires are unified, and therefore we can have peace. As Augustine famously wrote, our souls are restless until they find their rest in him. And so, <clears throat> as the praise team comes up, my question for you, and the scripture's question for you today is this. What is your hope for life and for peace? What is your hope for life and for peace? The scriptures promise and the scriptures guarantee that if you set your mind on the flesh, it leads to death. And it is death because it is separation, disunity, and disfellowship with God. The God who created you, the God who breathed his life into you, the God who purposes you. But if you set the mind on the spirit, if we live according to the spirit, we will set our mind on the spirit. And if we set our mind on the spirit, that is life. 
because now we are united to God. And if we are united to God, then we have peace because we are no longer at war with ourselves, but we are united to God and his desires and his longings and his purpose for us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray.